Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit Firesider.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher and iTunes and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Well, Happy New Year. Happy welcome New Year. to uh, Winter Season 2016. This is show number 144, I believe. I you looked it correct. up, but man, numbers do not stay in my head very well. Um, anyway, we're super excited to be back. We had a really great break. Um... I'll say. It yeah. was pretty fantastic. Right? So we New had, things going on. <laughs> we had a lot of plans that we kind of forego. We do have a sourdough starter going, but we didn't actually get on the sourdough didn't bread wagon bread, again. But the, sour, the starter's still going. That's coming. Um, <laughs> but uh, Chris was very kind and got me a sous vide stick. It's the Anova, A-N-O-V-A, sous vide stick. So if you don't know what sous vide is, it's a... it's precision cooking it's basically cooking things in plastic or glass in a circulating water bath so you can cook things at one exact temperature so i think you kind of got this in mind for kettle souring that was the excuse yes i had no idea i was getting this it was not i didn't have a christmas list or anything so i was thrilled we've done several things with it so far actually i'm i have yogurt going right now at home um we did steak for new year's dinner and uh oh and i actually did the the Sweet potatoes. We had Thanksgiving for Christmas dinner. But what's going on right now with that sous vide thing? It's I'm making yogurt. You're making yogurt. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. But why why is it important that you have it for, for kettle souring? So it's great because with kettle souring, you want to keep your, uh, your wort at one temperature. And so I will be able to kettle sour extremely efficient, efficiently um, with... I think a lot more ease than I have been. I have a, a pretty good kettle sour system right now, but it does require me to auto siphon out water, switch it out with boiling water, etc. I read about it in my book, Speed Brewing. I was getting um, to more so that you are going to be talking at the National yes. Home Brewers Conference this year, <laughs> and true. you'll be able to talk all about this information and the techniques that you learned with all this stuff. Yeah, so I did. Uh, so I will be doing a seminar at June's uh, National Home Brewers Conference, which will be in Baltimore, Maryland, Maryland on uh, trouble-free tart beers. That's so right. it's going to be fun. It'll be some stuff from my books, be brewing, as well as some other new stuff. I'm going to drill down and play with some fun uh, collected cultures, since we do a lot of lacto-fermented stuff. I'm very excited about that. Me too. But you know what I'm also excited about? We are doing an event at Calso Beer Company. Uh, we have chosen to give away some free work to local homebrewers. Unfortunately, the registration is already already tied up, but we're going to have a really great and fun event uh, in during New York City Beer Week. So this Wednesday, we're giving away a bunch of work to homebrewers, uh, both unhopped wort and hopped wort. Um, and we've got 84 participants. We're giving away 47 different five-gallon batches of, of unhopped wort and 63 different five-gallon batches of hopped wort, both from the same beer. And these homebrewers are free to do whatever they choose, and we're going to have a big celebration and beer hang at Cal 
Kelso in the tap room on February 23rd. And I'm just so excited to see what happens with the stuff. This is not an original idea. This is kind of directly from when we talked to Bell's John Mallon. Yeah, Bell's, uh, Brewery. Bell's Brewery. So Bell's Brewery does this every year. They've been doing it for a number of years where they give their award away to home brewers and then the home brewers come back and enter a competition. So I think it's super cool that you guys have brought it to Brooklyn. I'm excited. I'm actually going to get sus- wart from that. And- I suspect you're going to kettle sour <laughs> yes, this I am. Breaking, <laughs> breaking in the sous vide kettle sour method this Wednesday night. But today is all about vinegar. And we have a very dear friend of ours that we've known for a very long time, who is also a, a new host on, on a show here on Heritage Radio Network, our friend Harry Rosenblum. Hi, guys. Hi. What is your show here on Heritage Radio Network? So um, my show is called Feast Your Ears, and it is an interview show where I talk with people about their life and uh, what they do and how it relates to food. They don't have to necessarily be in the food space. They don't have to be chefs, although I've interviewed some chefs. But the goal for me was to... Um, place a show on heritage that was about people and their lives and sort of talking about things that weren't about the new restaurant that was opening or about, you know, the new food book that was coming out, but, you know, talking about things, for instance, this, this week on the beginning of my second season here on Heritage, show number 15, stuff. I think. Yeah. I hope to make it to 144. <laughs> it's really inspiring. It goes by much faster than you think. <laughs> I'm still nervous every show. Um, I'm interviewing. Or I'm cold, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it is cold <laughs> today. Yeah. We find, well, finally winter, right? Yeah. Okay. Finally. It's good for some fermentation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. You definitely. want some cold. Um, but this week I'm interviewing a friend who is a relief worker. So, you know, we'll talk about her work um, in places like South Sudan with refugee camps and what that work is like and then how that relates to food, both how relief workers eat and you know as a sort of teaser she mentioned to me that some of the french workers you know french relief workers bring like good wine and hide it in their tents and stuff <laughs> um, but you know also things like how do you feed a city of eighty thousand people that springs up overnight yeah awesome i will definitely tune into that i've been listening to your shows on through itunes when so when when are you on live uh, my show what is live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Okay, cool. I like that. I like the, how you describe it. Explores food through the lens of story. I really like that. For some Plus, reason. you're a really good host. Thank I you. I have to say, we were kind of. That's sticky. why we put him in the host chair. Today. I know. <laughs> it's hard though. I mean, if you're not, you know, we're. You know, I you don't, most seasoned. of you know. know yeah, we're like seasoned years, now. I mean, <laughs> we have greatly improved. We pretty much sucked at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know. So. I'd still argue that I still <laughs> suck. I'm still, I'm still playing the dumb guy. You're the scientist, though. So we know you through the Brooklyn Kitchen. Right. So what is the Brooklyn Kitchen for so those people for, who don't know? For, any, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, the Brooklyn Kitchen, we describe it as a cooking store. Um, we say that we do three things. We do uh, cooking equipment, we do ingredients, and we do education. So what that means is that we have a full uh, specialty houseware store, pots, pans, knives, including a homebrewing section. You had um, some really great teachers there uh, in the past few years. We have. We've yeah, had you guys do some incredible, incredible yeah, classes. Yeah, we both, so Chris and I both taught homebrewing yep. there at, at one time or another in yep. the past. Um, and so our classes, we do homebrewing classes, we do classes in all kinds of skills, lots of pickling, lots of fermenting, um, and we do I, dinner classes that are based on different cuisines, and then we have a full grocery um, that includes a butcher shop and um, dry goods and produce and sort of all of that sort of end of cooking as well. It is an amazing store, I will say. I've bought everything from kitchenwares to homebrew supplies to to fresh produce as well as I mean, you guys have all kinds of stuff for fermenting, actually. I mean, fermenting and, and pickling um, was sort of one of the initial things that led to the creation of the store because there were a lot of things that we couldn't get 
um, you know, in we felt like we couldn't find in, in the city. The, the real initial thing was more canning related, but it was looking for pectin mm-hmm. and looking for jars back in 2004, I think, 2005. Um, my wife and I were trying to make some grape jelly and couldn't find pectin. And that, I mean, that, that didn't, you know, the store didn't like, it wasn't like a light bulb went off. It was a much longer, slow light bulb, kind of dimming, getting brighter. And but it, it came took to your need to, for pectin. Yeah. I mean, I mean, initially it really came from that. And a need for, you know, a way to can things. And then, you know, my interest in, in fermentation is vast. Um, I, you know, sort of, I got into brewing. Um, I mean, brewing was sort of my entree, I guess, into, mm-hmm. into it. I got into brewing in college. Um, felt like, you know, I was only like 19 and I couldn't buy beer but the homebrew store would sell me whatever i wanted so i was like i'll just make beer and i think that at that time uh with my my roommates and i certainly convinced ourselves that what we made was delicious when in fact it just it did i mean it did the job right it was not good (laughs) it was a vehicle that was your first time fermenting anything was was beer beer was the thing Pretty much, I th- I think so. I mean, I you know certainly like I remember being like twelve, maybe twelve or thirteen, and finding like a container of apple cider in the back of the fridge that had gotten all distended and oh, yeah. opening it up and pouring some and being like, oh, this tastes pretty good. And, you know, drank a couple glasses of it, I think, and felt pretty good. So that I mean, that was inadvertent, certainly. Yeah. You were also a construction worker for a while. Uh, I have been. Yes, I've been a construction worker. Yeah, that's I've, fun. Do I've they done. appreciate your fermentations. Um, I, you know, I worked with an interesting crew of people. I mean, I, there was a like weird Argentinian guy who recently came and got some vinegar mother from me to like give to his mom back in Argentina. So like, actually the guys did. I mean, there was a lot of like, you know, discussion of food and other things while like hanging sheetrock. So let's talk about vinegar. Let's, let's, let's talk, talk about, about vinegar. vinegar. So we're sitting here with six different bottles yeah, I brought a, I brought a uh, small vinegars. small selection of vinegar. Um, I'm working on a vinegar book that will come out in 2017. Uh, it does not have a title yet, um, as you also might be aware. And as some listen, if there are any listeners who listen to the food scene, uh, in the beginning of this show, you heard Michael Harlan Turkel's voice doing a spot. Michael is also writing a vinegar book. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to imagine that Heritage is the only radio station <laughs> in the world that has two people writing vinegar books right now, <laughs> yes. this time that are both going to come out in 2017. Michael and I are friends. There's no, you know. Yeah. No bad blood there. We spend a lot of time talking you about You guys vinegar. aren't sour. And vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll be here. Vinegar is a huge world. I yeah. think a lot of people don't really think about vinegar. I mean, most of the time, if you cook from a recipe or, or things that you know, you know, there's a very limited, you might have one or two vinegars in your pantry. Right. And and vinegar really is an, an incredible, incredibly vast world. I mean, to the sort of basics of it, um, and I guess why it's so topical here in this show, is that it is a, you know, it is a next stage of a fermentation. It is a it is a ferment that, that happens that requires the presence of alcohol. So from anything that you make, you know, from anything from a mead to a beer to a wine to hard cider, all of those things can then be turned into vinegar. Um, you know, and that, accidentally or not. Yes, accidentally <laughs> or not. Um, you know, I mean, I think that the for a long time, or, or at least in, in my experience, you know, sort of getting into brewing, it was an accidental thing, and it was actually viewed as bad, right? I mean, you don't want your beer to go to vinegar. You want to prevent that. You take, you know, great steps to keep that from happening. Um, I think centuries ago, you know, people understood that vinegar actually was a very useful and powerful liquid to then make. And so there was a huge value placed on things with alcohol because you could drink them. Um, and you know, the, the liquid itself was safer to drink in many cases. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, 
fact of beer being a more popular breakfast drink in New York City around the turn of 1900 than <laughs> anything else because the water wasn't safe to drink and you had to boil it to make the mm-hmm. beer, right? Um, but there were huge vinegar taxes levied in certain places. I mean, there were, you know, vinegar was a big, large industry um, in Europe and then in this country as well. I mean, apple cider vinegar really became a way that in New England they could take the, you know, you had the apples and so they were all going to rot because you couldn't save them. So you press them and you make them into juice and you ferment that into cider, which is going to keep what you can drink. And then if you turn that into vinegar, you then have an even more value added product that you can do other things with that actually will last even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, vinegar, you know, essentially lasts forever because it is its own preservative. It's something we use to preserve foods and it is itself so acidic that it will be preserved. So let's talk about for people who might not know, what is the so- kind of the science behind vinegar? Yeah, how or do you the, decide the to turn it into sure. vinegar? So, um, also, I'm going to break one of these open while you're talking. No, please do. Um, there's three that I made that are here on the table. Um, there's a, the one that you just grabbed, Mary. Going for this house malt vinegar made with Brooklyn Brewery Summer Ale. Yeah, so that, that was made from Brooklyn Brewery Summer Ale um, a couple of years ago. And then I have one that was made from this, I believe. I'll have to open it and taste it. This is either from Brooklyn Brewery Brown Ale or it is from the uh, Maple Porter that they made a couple of years ago that they did a small run of. Um, and then there's some apple cider vinegar as well that I made and then I have some from other people but to get back to the the question of sort of what is vinegar and how does it happen or how is it made as listeners of this show may be aware and as you guys I'm sure as homebrewers are aware when you are making alcoholic beverages you want an anaerobic environment the yeast you want you do not want oxygen except in the very beginning to get your fermentation started and then you really want to keep an airlock on there and you want to keep your co2 sort of over your ferment and you don't want oxygen to be present and the yeast wants to be in that environment once that fermentation is finished and all of the available sugars have been turned into um into alcohol at that point if you expose that beverage or that liquid to oxygen and i mean the the acetobacter which is the bacteria that creates acetic acid which is vinegar does exist pretty much everywhere um so if you were just to leave like an open barrel you would likely get acetobacter in there which would colonize obviously it's much better to add some already existing vinegar that already has the bacteria in it you'll just get a quicker ferment you'll have less likelihood of things like mold and other yeasts growing on top um And that requires oxygen. So in the presence of oxygen and nutrients within a liquid and the presence of the ethyl alcohol, the acetobacter will turn that into acetic acid. Because they're they're converting the ethyl alcohol Mm -hmm. to acetic acid. Yeah. Um, And there's there's a book that was written in early 20th century. I don't remember the exact year, which... They did a large number of experiments. There's been very little written since then that I've found in my research for my book about sort of how the bacteria itself works. But you can't just take, like, vodka and leave it out and have the bacteria colonize for a number of reasons. I mean, the the bacteria does best with an alcohol percentage between, like, 6 and 10. Um, So actually even making vinegar from full-strength wine is actually relatively difficult because the alcohol level is so high that it's hard for the vinegar... Uh, bacteria for the acetobacter to colonize and so actually i find that if you water down wines you really want to hit like that nine you know six seven eight nine percent range so beer became the thing that really led me beer and cider hard cider that led me down the sort of road of being interested in vinegar because they not only are already at sort of the perfect level of alcohol 
but they have a lot of the other nutrients. Um, there are other nutrients that are required for the acetobacter to be healthy. And the, the best way that I've been able to sort of figure out the easiest, simplest way to describe it is that things that are more tannic will convert more easily. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I am not a scientist by trade and I have not investigated exactly which, you know, magnesium, phosphorus, any, you know, which, which of the things that are contained there are the ones that the acetobacter really needs. But white wines are often difficult. Um, to get to convert well, they often get colonized by yeast, um, which just gives it, you know, you can get the full fermentation. You can get the yeast and the bacteria to colonize at the same time. Um, but sometimes you get mold on those things. Um, and you know, the, the higher acidity and the more tannic nature of those beverages make it easier for those things to convert. So this house mom vinegar is delicious. First of all, not except oh, now I want fish and chips. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. So Take us through, um, if somebody wants to, mm-hmm. if somebody's a home brewer, they either have a batch that goes bad or that they're just not particularly loving, what are the steps in making vinegar at home? Sure. The way that I got started beer. was that I had I had a batch of hard cider, actually, that I was bottling. I had a five-gallon batch and got most of the way through bottling and realized I had, didn't have enough bottles. And this would have been back before there were any homebrew supply stores right. in New York City. <laughs> and I hadn't saved enough bottles from drinking other things. And the idea of going out and, like, buying a 12-pack and pounding it or, like, <laughs> pouring it down the drain just to have bottles seemed silly. And I remembered that I actually had a jar of organic white wine vinegar on my shelf that had grown this weird little sort of pellicle on the top. And I was like, oh, I think that's Vinegar Mother. And I think this is live vinegar. And so I just took the, what was left in a gallon jar and dumped that in and left it open in my boiler room. And it turned into this really great vinegar. So I started down the road of doing some beers and turning them into, into vinegar. And, you know, malt vinegar for me is sort of where I hope to take things. Once my book is finished and published, I'm hoping to get a vinegar company actually off the ground specializing in malt vinegar. Yeah. And, and- so... That's something we don't see as much. I mean, we yeah, have, there's true. definitely some mass produced malt vinegars yep. out there, um, but that's something you don't see as, as much, I feel like, as some of the other vinegars. Yeah, you don't see them. And, and it's sort of, I, you know, to me, I mean, what it represents as a, as a food retailer is, a, you know, is an opportunity in the market. I mean, there's not, there's not very much out there, but it's delicious. Oh, yeah. And so it's sort of like, why not? Especially now that we've had this explosion in craft brewing in the last 25 years, that's a huge opportunity. And so, you know, one of the things I've done is, try to partner with our friends at the Brooklyn Brewery to mm-hmm. use their beers to make vinegar. So, you know, the summer elf, for example, if you wanted to, if you were a home brewer or if you weren't, you know, and you wanted to make this vinegar, you need to get yourself some beer one way or the other. That particular beer, I just went to the brewery and they filled up a keg for me and I took it home. And But if you went out and bought a 12 pack or a case or whatever, you, what you need... Growler. A lot of times, you know, people you will... do a growler, for want, sure. You know, some leftover growler beer. Yep. You could totally do it in a in a growler. All you really need is a is a vessel that you can leave open um, and, and some fresh vinegar to start with. I mean, I would definitely recommend it is worth starting with live vinegar if you can. It's much harder to catch the vinegar, you know, the bacteria out of the air. And there is one brand of apple cider vinegar that I know is pretty common throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Braggs. To, yeah, Braggs. Braggs. Yeah, Braggs. It has, it's live. And yes, Braggs nice. is live. What I will say, though, is that over time, because the vinegar, because the acetobacter requires oxygen, oxygen even though this started out live a couple of years ago, there's going to be far fewer live bacteria in them holding up a bottle like nobody can see me um, <laughs> um you know if you if you have a glass bottle which is impervious to oxygen and air and you have a cap on it so you know if you are going to go out and buy brags and you want to use that to start something try and find you know 
do what I don't like you to do as a store owner, but like reach to the back of the shelf and take the newest bottle. That theoretically, <laughs> if they're rotating their stock correctly, you want the bottle that's new as new as possible because you're going to have more life bacteria. Have the healthiest right. mother, exactly. Right. So basically, when but if you use that mother, even a, even a not so live one, but that's just living enough, yeah, you're basically making a starter. Exactly, take you're just long, growing. Take long in, yeah, the bacteria are just going to replicate themselves. And so what you would do is you would take something with an open top. You can use a growler. You can use a crock. Um, you can use an oak barrel. I mean, traditionally, obviously, oak would have been what, what you use. Glass oak, jar. Glass jar is totally fine. Um, you know, and then you would pour in whatever your beer, wine, you know, whatever liquid you're starting from. In this case, let's we'll talk about beer. And then you would pour in some of your live vinegar culture or vinegar mother if someone gave it to you. Now, when we talk about mother, a lot of times what people are referring to is that the vinegar itself forms a byproduct um, the bacteria, which is like a floating mass on top, it's kind of like a mint kombucha scoby. It's in just a like way. A, it's just like a kombucha scoby. Yeah. It's it's sort of leathery and kind of disgusting and you know gross feeling. Um, that is that is that contains the bacteria. It is not the only bacteria. The bacteria exists throughout the liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just a cellulose byproduct of the process. So you could take some of that and toss it in if you have some, or just pour in some vinegar if you had Bragg's or another another live vinegar, um, and then you would just leave it open. Um, you want it to be, you know, you don't want to leave it in direct sunlight, like many things that can harm it. Um, and you would want to put something over the top, cheesecloth, um, a piece of an old t-shirt, something like that with a rubber band to keep flies out. I mean, flies do love vinegar. Especially fruit flies. Yeah. Fruit flies love vinegar. Um, if you do happen to, you know, if the top gets knocked off and I've had this happen, um, you can end up with lots and lots of flies and lots and lots of little you know, little baby, baby fly yes. larvae right. in your vinegar, which is not harmful at all. It's just really gross. Right. On, on that note, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. From Antibody. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Fire Cider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Yeah, 
and welcome back to Foment About It, episode 144. We're here in the studio with Harry Rosenblum of Feast Your Ears and who is of the Brooklyn Kitchen and is writing a book on site on uh, uh, vinegar. And we're just tasting through some vinegars. That's why my mouth is um, very salivating and doing all these <laughs> beautiful things. Uh, what is the importance of the base beer or cider uh, in, in the outcome of the vinegar? So... Obviously, as with um, with many things, you want to start, you know, there are, I feel like there's been a lot of stuff written that's like, oh, if you don't like the bottle of wine that you open, you should just turn it into vinegar, which I don't actually agree with, because why would you want to make something else to eat or taste out of something you didn't like the first time, right? Um, what you're going to end up with once you have made your vinegar is something that does have the flavor notes of the original liquid and the original drink that you started from. So you really want to start with something that you like. You don't want to just use any old crap. I mean, you can certainly make vinegar from just about anything, but you should start with something that you like. And I think one of the important things to consider is that, you know, you're basically taking those flavors and you are acidifying it. So with the vinegar that we were just tasting that is based on the Brooklyn Brewery Summer Ale, that beer is very... um, it's very citrusy, right? It's a Mm -hmm. summer ale. It's not very hoppy. Um, One of the things that I find really interesting about this particular vinegar that I love is that if you take that vinegar and you put it into seltzer, it tastes like lemonade. Oh yeah. I can totally see that because you basically have, you know, you don't have any seltzer now. You don't have any (laughs) citric acid, but you're taking that beer and you have the citrus notes and you're adding, you're, you're converting it into acetic acid. And so your palate taste that acid and those citrus flavors and of course you think of citrus this may seem like a silly question but for yeast heads out there what is the difference like if you have a mother can you expect the same result from any any vinegar mother or does what the mother has been trained on carry over i think it i think it carries over a little bit i mean what i've found in in all of the mothers that i have been or all it's all one mother right mother, it's, <laughs> like, it's very spiritual kind of thing um the you know the 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 original mother that i started with i have taken pieces of and sort of trained into different things so i have one that i use for apple cider that came from the same original set of bacteria and one that i use for beer and one that i use for red wine and one that i use for white wine and i mean i think the bacteria itself doesn't really care particularly i think that it will acclimate to a certain amount but i think it does that every time because you aren't you know unless you were operating in an environment where you know the way that they do in say commercial you know commercial vinegar production where they have a giant acetator where they're controlling every aspect of it because they're trying to you know pump out thousands of gallons of white vinegar at the same acidity all day long you know in this kind of experimentative you know small batch world everything's going to be different i'm going to water down wine you know if it starts out at 15% alcohol, I'm going to water it down roughly by half, but I'm not going to take a reading and say, okay, it's at 7.6% alcohol and we're going to try it at that. And then I'm going to do a different batch at 7.7 and a different batch at eight. And we're not really sort of putting those controls on it. Mm-hmm. So I think that the bacteria has a little bit of, you know, getting used to its environment and then it just sort of does its thing. Speaking of that, what is a typical residual alcohol at the end of a at the end of the, at the end of vinegar, it should be zero. It should be zero. Should be, it should be all that totally had been turned zero. Because um, acetobacter is like right. it's fierce. Much process, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it should. It's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it, it should. It should basically process all of it out. Um, you know, it, that aspect of it is what makes starting a vinegar company a little bit difficult because the government hasn't quite figured out what to do about taxing the alcohol that then goes into vinegar, and right. so there's sort of a there's a gray area still. 
um, you know, as I've been investigating starting this vinegar company, there's a little bit of a gray area as to, you know, where the, you know how you buy your alcohol and where, you know, because the, the government wants the tax. Right, because you're starting with alcohol and eliminate, yeah. And, eliminate, and you're getting rid of it. Yeah. You're basically making right. it disappear, <laughs> you know. And so they want to pay, They you know, they want taxes on it somewhere down the line. So it actually does turn out to be easier um, then starting from scratch and having your own brewery where you're making the alcohol and then yeah at the brewery we have a little vinegar. I wonder if that would be considered loss like if we make because we have a we have a tax bracket where where you know whatever we spill or you know if this right. this, this one went wrong then you know if we we put that in the loss box and right. and that's not taxed right right I mean yeah there's there's also a there's also a whole piece of it where you know because of the way that the brewing world works if there is a certain amount of uh, acetic acid in your beer it's not taxed because it's considered non-potable oh interesting so there's like a weird there's like a weird <laughs> thing where like you know i don't know well so someday i'll i will know a lot more about it when we get that that yeah. part of it off the all off right the so tell me about this mangosteen vinegar that i just tasted so the mangosteen vinegar um was a gift from a friend who has a kombucha company actually in bangkok um he a company called pure luck um, his name is Brett Casper. He's actually, he started here in Brooklyn and then he, uh, moved the company and moved to Bangkok and was doing a lot of production and has, a, is doing a lot of production in, in Asia and selling it there. And then is now starting up a U.S. another U S branch of it, or I guess starting up again in the U S in Denver, uh, in the Denver Boulder area. And so that's, he brought that back for me as a gift the last time he came through New York. Um, it was a mangosteen vinegar that he had been messing around with and making in his kombucha factory. So he started with kombucha and then... I'm not sure. I think or, he just started from ferment, from mangosteen juice and then fermented okay. it and then made it into, into alcohol. And then yep. that, yeah, I mean, that's good, but way different. It's almost smoky tasting or yeah. like very earthy. Yeah. And I don't know if that has to do with the... I mean, I have to imagine... The fruit or the... It has to do with the fruit. I mean, it has to do with the texture of the fruit. Um, You know, there's a lot of different, you know, um, I guess to sort of finish the discussion on how you actually make the vinegar, you know, once you have that vessel with the top, you know, that allows oxygen to permeate, um, it just takes time. Um, You know, I I have a batch of apple cider vinegar that I started from a bunch of a bunch of bottles actually that we had that were out of date at the Brooklyn kitchen that were starting to get distended and I just you know fermented all that apple juice uh, all the apple cider and then tossed in some vinegar mother at the same time because you can also do those things concurrently if you're not trying to make hard cider or beer you actually can do both fermentation simultaneously because as the yeast is converting the sugar into alcohol the bacteria will convert the alcohol into um into acetic acid and into vinegar. So you can do those things sort of simultaneous. And, you know, I started that batch uh, less than a month ago and it's getting, you know, it's, it's a little bit acidic, but it's not fully there yet. It's, you can still taste the alcohol in it. Um, and you know, that will probably take anywhere from six weeks to eight weeks, um, to fully convert depending on temperature and depending on, on oxygen permeability that happens to be in an oak cask. So there is some oxygen getting sort of to the sides of the liquid. Whereas if you do it in glass, you're only getting that oxygen from the top. And temperature, what's the temperature range? So, I mean, and I would assume it, that slightly higher temperatures are more. Yeah, higher, higher temperature is better. Um, I have found similar that. Similar to kombucha. Some, yeah, similar to kombucha. I have found that sometimes in the summer, at least for me, and I don't know, it may be my specific environment, I sometimes get a layer of what's, what's called calm yeast, mm-hmm. K A H M, on the top. 
um, in the summer. And I don't know if that's heat or humidity related. I'm not really sure. And that's something you can see in a lot of like lacto driven. um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times you see in lacto driven cultures like uh, lacto pickles or lacto vegetables. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't actually, whereas in the pickles, it'll drop into solution and Mm -hmm. kind of soften them and give them sort of an off taste. It will change the flavor of the vinegar. But I, my experience has not been that that's been necessarily for the worse. It just changes it. It makes it, you know, it gives it kind of a little bit of a bready flavor. Um, and then a lot of people will say that you want to age your vinegar because you, it will initially, it will be very sharp. Um, and while you're not going to end up by aging it, it doesn't really change the pH. I mean, you're going to stick at the same acidity, um, that will mellow out a little bit over time. Um, Bob Sewell, who's a really, really great, uh, apple cider vinegar maker in Maine, he ages his stuff for three years before he'll ever even sell it. What does he age it? What is, yeah. What do you typically age it in? Um, he just ages it in the barrels that he makes it in. Okay. I mean, but once it's converted, he just won't touch it for yeah, three years. Yeah, he just lets it go. Is it ideal to convert as fast as possible and then so it just starts to the aging process? And if you if it happens really fast, are there off flavors or by, byproducts coming from, from a fast conversion? So the I haven't done a lot of um, experiments comparing being able to have control over the speed of the conversion. Um, the method that I'm sort of a proponent of and, and talking about a lot in my book is what would be considered sort of your slow or Orleans method um, mm-hmm. named after Orleans, France, where you basically are just leaving it alone. You're letting the bacteria just sort of do its thing. Whatever oxygen is there is there. There are a couple of faster ways and i'm actually next week i'm going to build a small version of what's called a schutzenbach vinegar generator and it was a early 19th century um, german invention and what they figured out at the time and what what turns out to be true is that if you increase the surface area and you increase the availability of oxygen it will convert much faster and so what a schutzenbach generator is is it's a barrel that has a false bottom and a false top and in between those is stuffed a bunch of things wood shavings something to create a huge amount of surface area and basically what you do is you pour the wine or vinegar over this sort of uh false top that has a bunch of holes in it so it it rains down over all of this filler and then it collects in the bottom and then you do it again and so obviously in as that method became improved you add pumps and things like that. So it's just a continuous thing. So it kind of auto, it circulates. You can have it auto circulate. And there's one company commercially producing that. Um, it's a company called Omed and they produce their vinegars in Spain. I really am hoping to try to, I'm hoping to get to visit their production because they're the only ones that I'm aware of that are doing this on a commercial level today. And they are able to convert vinegar from base product into vinegar in about 10 days. Wow. So, and with, with very little loss of original flavor so that's the you know you can convert vinegar incredibly fast in an acetator which is a piece of industrial equipment that basically has an impeller in the bottom that spins the liquid very fast while pumping pure oxygen into it and so by spinning it into a vortex and pumping pure oxygen into it you are also then increasing the availability of oxygen to the bacteria but not necessarily the surface area yeah and and what and in that case you're converting it very fast and so you're in that method able to make a much much more acidic product and that's usually what's used to then make distilled white vinegar where you're actually making a distillate to purify it so a ghetto version of this would be to 
take a, a drill with a, a wine oxygenator and a carb stone with, a, with an oxygen pump and yeah, into I've, a carboy and, yep. and, and rock it out. I've, I've thought about trying to do that. I mean, I've also well, thought about... You said you're going to build yours, right? Yeah, I'm going to so build yours. So you're using that. a pump and... I mean, are yeah, you, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it with a... Probably with a, you know, just with a small, you know, fish fish tank pump or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of What's see What's that called? It's a... Schwitz, 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 uh, Schutzenbach. Schutzenbach. Of course. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I want to I want to sort of try that. And I, I may or may not put it in my book because I don't know that it's worth it for the home right. maker. Right. I mean, it's, it really is an industrialized process. However, you know, but centuries you, old. It's cool, though. And you could build a small. I mean, if yeah. people got really into vinegar, you could build a small right. one. I mean, that, that was my thought. I mean, I, I've also thought about, you know, when I get towards working on the, on the vinegar company, I mean, I have ideas on, you know, you could actually just take like a 55-gallon wine barrel and then have some kind of very slow-turning impeller that would increase your surface area a lot, a lot more than just letting it sit there right. just by churning the liquid. And you don't need to have that sort of mother covering the top. That just is a byproduct of the. You have to really love vinegar to, to get a lot of this. So Mary yeah. and I have like probably like fifteen different kind of vinegars at our we house have, that we, we our, bought. Our none friend of John them. Nagley makes <laughs> yeah. vinegar. We've had him oh, on the right. show before. <laughs> so, and yeah, and it's delicious. We don't. So, but what do you do yeah. with your vinegar, or what? What? How? How? How do you like to consume vinegar? So my book is going to be the beginning is part is going to be, and I don't have a name yet. I'm really, if you have any ideas, I mean, I, I kind of want to just call it vinegar, but I don't think that the. Uh, I don't think my editor is going to sort of let me do just something that plain. That, that whole naming game can be tricky. Yeah. Uh, so the first part of my book will be about making vinegar, and the second part will be 50 or 60 recipes um, of what to do with it. And, I mean, I, I do a lot with it. I mean, I put it in a lot of things. Um, this time of year, um, you know, I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, making something like fire cider um, is a really great use for vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fire cider is sort of like an old New England-style tonic where you take traditionally apple cider vinegar and you steep it with you know all sorts of herbal you know garlic and mint and uh ginger and turmeric um and you know let that sort of macerate you know black pepper um red pepper spice you know habaneros or jalapenos or some kind of spicy pepper and you let mm-hmm. that sort of macerate for a month or so you shake it you know whenever you feel like it and then you strain it out and you eat you know you drink like a teaspoon of that every morning and it's supposed to sort of like you know keep you fierce and strong right? yeah. <laughs> wake you up i guess um you know so that's one use for it i mean i i really enjoy it in in cocktails in you know shrubs in, in shrubs and you know just over just in seltzer even um and then to cook with i mean i think that vinegar has a place in almost every dish i mean from things as basic as using a little bit in you know in boiling water when you poach an egg mm-hmm. which you know is supposed to help keep the egg coagulated um, together which is just a very sort of like straight use where you're not really even tasting it to you know adding it I mean obviously dressings and condiments I mean every single condiment you could possibly think of has vinegar in it all yeah. of them um, both as a preservative and also as a flavor product um, making pickles um, you know quick pickles or otherwise I mean I made some quick pickled jalapenos we had a chili party on New Year's Day and I just did some overnight pickled jalapenos um, for that that were you know delicious and then now I have spicy vinegar right yeah. I mean yeah, I ate yeah. all the jalapenos it's and now the I've got a yeah. you awesome. know spicy vinegar that I could use to pickle something else or just you know put on my salad or use to cook some greens yeah so wait, before we have a couple minutes left and I want to mention so you're launching something called 
beer box. Yes. Um, and I, I want to get to that because we have a lot of, obviously we started, Chris and I started from homebrew, uh, yep. still homebrew. We have yep. a lot of listeners out there that homebrew. One of my favorite regulars at Beer Street, Daily, Chris Daly, man, great guy. So, yeah, so so Beer Box um, is sort of, I, I, I guess it could be described as like the next step in the homebrew kit world. Um, you know, those of us that have been homebrewing for a long time, you know, I remember buying my first homebrew kits and they pretty much still look the same. I mean, I bought my first homebrew kit in 1995 and I think the brewer's best kits that you can buy now, the box, I think is, I think it's the same that they must have bought like 95 container loads of that same box. Um, and they look the same and they're, 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 they're good. I mean, they make beer, but I think that homebrewing and craft brewing has come a really long way since. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind beer box and, and beer boxes was not, was not my idea. I'm just, I'm sort of along for the ride to, to help launch it, um, with daily, um, and Joey and Joey. Um, and it's, it's beer box. Cool. Yeah. It's beer box. B I E R B O X dot C O is the, uh, is the website. And the idea behind beer box that, that daily and, and Joey sort of brought to me, cause we have a homebrew, uh, homebrew section at the Brooklyn Kitchen is to have an updated homebrewing kit that's sort of like a subscription service that that lowers the barrier to entry for people who are already homebrewers, but who you know, like myself, I have a kid. Daily, daily son Jude is in my daughter Moxie's clear in class yeah. together. You know, and like your life just gets more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I don't have. I mean, if I didn't own a homebrew store, I would. It, it would be nearly impossible for me to make time to go to the homebrew store and buy the ingredients of anything. I mean, I can put together a beer. It's not that hard, but the idea is to have kit beers that are seasonal and you sort of subscribe and you get, you know, one a season. So it's four a year that, you know, for someone like me who's busy and has kids, I can imagine brewing four times a year. I'm not going to brew every week like I used to, but I can imagine doing that. And then the idea is that once you've sort of signed into that and you become a member, that there's a whole menu of other beers and you can customize them yourself and say, well, I'd like to try this beer, but I want a different yeast. And you have access to those things at sort of a member price. Mm-hmm. So you get a price break for being a member and signing on to the subscription service. Awesome. So I'm a huge fan of subscription services. I do two <laughs> beauty product subscription uh, services every month. We have the meat club from ends meat. Nice. Um, I just signed up for Quincipal. Actually, we pick up our first Quincipal box. Um, on Thursday, just to, as a kind of compliment to Meat Club, and then I, I just—I'm a Chocolate of the Month member yes. now. Sweet. That's my custom. It's Mary's custom. Chocolate of the Month. Of the month. <laughs> and then I actually signed us up for a, a hatchery once a month, hmm. which is like small brand anyway kind yeah. of products yep. that you can use to cook. Um, but I think it's great because also not only if you're you sometimes don't make time to homebrew, but a lot of times I feel homebrewers kind of get caught, like any of us do with anything, whether it be homebrewing or cooking or anything in our daily lives, we get kind of in a rut, right? Like you generally tend to just make Belgian blondes or IPAs or pale ales or whatever is kind of your favorite thing. And also if you're a beginner homebrewer, or sometimes you don't try all the ingredients. There's a lot right. of different malts and yeasts that are out there. And a lot of times I, I mean, I stick to the same old yeast that I always do. Cause I know they're dependable. I know what I want. I know that I can manipulate everything else, but stick to that same yeast. So I think, I mean, this box sounds great in that it would push people outside of their boundaries. And yep. also it sounds like a kind of a nice chat, you know, nice challenge shakeup. Yeah. And, and the idea I think too, is to be able to promote, great recipes from mm-hmm. good homebrewers. Yeah. Yeah. And Daly's so, a great homebrewer, man. He is, Daly, he is a great homebrewer. He's brought several things into the, into the 
into the bar. And he also uh, he's also pretty crazy too. He's been doing a lot of spontaneous fermentations. And oh, he does. Yeah, he collects wild like wherever he goes. He's, he's talking uh, about his lagering in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Genius. It's genius. Right. We're, we're having, we're gonna have him. We are. No, you gotta have him. That's a future show. Definitely are having him. But one of the things that I that I really want to sort of bring to beer box and and sort of do is you know having been involved in the homebrew community for a long time you know there's lots of great competitions and i feel like often the prize is getting to like brew your beer on a professional system so like that's cool right you take your beer that was five gallons and you size it up and you brew it on a five barrel or a ten barrel system Mm -hmm. what i would love to be able to offer with beer box is if you win a homebrew competition we'll make a kit so that you can share cool. that with other homebrewers. Right. And, you know, so that that way the barrier to entry is low to brew an award-winning beer. That, sure, you might share that on, you know, online. And, yeah, I can, again, I can go to the homebrew store and buy all those ingredients. But if it's in a kit and it's like, this is Chris Kuzma's award-winning beer, there's value there. And there's interest, mm-hmm. right? And it's cool for you as a homebrewer to be like, well, you know, somebody in, you know, the Pacific Northwest is going to brew my beer. And they can just order the kit. Yeah, that's definitely cool. So we have to wrap up today. I'm a little sorry. So we can find you at Brooklyn Kitchen, yep. which is in East Northeast Williamsburg. Uh, it's 100 Frost Street, thebrooklynkitchen.com. <laughs> yes. you can, you'll find us. <laughs> it's a great store. Yeah. And then you're, you're on the air every Wednesday at 1. Every Wednesday at 1. Feast your ears. And then look for the on vinegar Heritage book Radio coming at, at some point. I've really enjoyed tasting all these vinegars, and I'm super Thank excited you. to... Make, we need to make more use of the vinegars that we have, but also maybe launch some vinegar. I did the last... We've made apple cider vinegar accidentally before, and then I actually tried some red wine vinegar left over from a tasting, but I didn't introduce a mother, and I did get mold. And so mm. now that was my lesson learned is always introduce a mother. Because yep. I think I was my temperature was a little too cold. So. Yeah. But hopefully this will inspire people to experiment. I hope so. And, and you know, if anybody has any vinegar questions, um, you can email me, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for thank being here. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Fomentabad. Fomentabad. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.